So thank you for joining uh, me today. Uh, it's a pleasure having both of you on our second chat of the of this podcast or series. We still haven't come up with a name with it, so we're kind of figuring it out as we're going. But I'm um, really excited about this that we we've gotten to two now. So um, why don't you tell me a little bit of brief introduction about yourself? Uh, we have Sean and Colin on the talk today. So Sean, why don't you start and give a little yeah. introduction about yourself? Well, by the way, thank you for sponsoring the talk today with uh, <laughs> Neurotex. This is a very good plug. Um, <laughs> so why don't you uh, give us a little bit of an introduction of yourself? My pleasure. Well, um, you guys know me, so um, thanks for having us, first of all. it's uh, I think it's a great opportunity to talk about one of the things that is extremely dear to my heart when it comes to the operation and uh, the items that we're all working on. Um, so I am the managing director and founder of Circuit Energy, the uh, uh, sister company to Edgecom Energy that does the uh, engineering implementation and uh, you know um, operation of some of the assets and some of the projects that Edgecom Energy, Edgecom Energy's customers um, ask us to do and. Um, um, in other words, we're the execution arm to to Edgecom Energy. We've got four divisions over at uh, Circuit Energy. We've got our lighting that is uh, basically uh, divides into two, one project and one product. Uh, we've got our power conditioning division that deals with the power quality of uh, industrial facilities. Um, and then we also do our distributed energy resources. Uh, division, which we'll dive into, and finally our uh, solar division or solar PV division that's mostly focused on um, on net metering and whatnot. Um, I've been in industry for about 12 years, uh, mostly focused on distributed energy resources. Started off with solar, and prior to that, I was in the telecom industry. So it was a, a switch, uh, but uh, uh, haven't been happier. So that's all that. <laughs> awesome. So what about yourself, Colin? Me and you are uh, colleagues. We've been colleagues for about two years now. So uh, why don't we talk about first the first time we met or how you kind of got involved in this company? And Sure. So uh, my name is Colin, uh, Colin Lee. I'm the Vice President of Sales with Edgecom Energy. And um, my first enrollment here was about five years ago. Um, we started with the concept that uh, we're going to help large industrial users in, in Ontario to um, simplify their energy management and their spends in terms of electricity. Um, so that's uh, how I got involved. I've been in the industry industry now for probably decades of, over the different roles I've done in, in, in energy and power quality. And so I'm excited to be here today to talk about distributed energy resources and work with Sean uh, um, and talk about how, how all these things come together nicely. Perfect. So we kind of a little bit dove into what we're going to be talking about today, which is distributed energy resources. So, Spoiler. Um, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. I, I, I love when we uh, kind of jump the gun anyways, because that's what we're here for. So why don't we talk about a little bit the kind of customers that get involved in these strategies and um, what is distributed energy resources? So you guys want to give a little bit of a background of what this concept is, how it involves with our um, role in our company and those kinds of things. So what is distributed energy resources? Sure. You want me to take this one? Yeah, totally. Sure. So, uh, in essence, a, a distributed energy resource is something that can relieve the grid of, of demand. And so there can be uh, distributed energy resources such as a natural gas generator, battery storage system, maybe even a solar farm, and, and some kind of wind farm that's con combined in a hybrid of all these different uh, opportunities. But that's basically what it does is it removes demand from the grid. Could also be a, a, a business automation system within a facility. And um, the question was, I guess, uh, how do these 
um, come together to help uh, the, these types of customers that we work with? Yeah, so why don't we actually, before we even dive in further, why don't we talk about the types of customers and who, who uses uh, distributed energy resources right now and why do they have to do them? Okay. Do you want to try that one? Yeah, so typically um, a lot of the customers that we uh, target uh, would be those that have a 500 kilowatt or more in, in demand, uh, mostly industrial, but we do have some larger facilities like shopping malls or larger condominiums that do have uh, large consumption or large demand. Um, and typically they would qualify as what they would call a class A customer, meaning that these customers are heavy consumers, meaning that any um, anything that they do to reduce their consumption in a form of a distributed energy resource by reducing their demand would have a much larger impact than say a regular homeowner right so that's the um, I guess the uh, uh, the type of customers that we're after and that we can help out um, when it comes to the programs that are available in, in, in the industry yeah I would add to that Ali if I may that you know we're looking at uh, when you ask about the types of customers that, that, that we work with we're looking at customers that um, are able to are interested in reducing their what's referred to as their global adjustment charges on their bills and you know when, when a, a larger consumer of electricity receives their bills there's usually uh, three main components to that bill there's their KW demand what what they need from the local utility to provide them to operate their operations and then there's the kilowatt hours which is how long are they running that demand for and then there's a, a global adjustment charge and that global adjustment charge is basically a pool that's uh, assigned to pay for a, a, a myriad of different uh, products and services that the LDCs and the ISO have to cover and that uh, the amount usually is, runs around a, a billion dollars a month and so what happens is any individual organization uh, that's participating in the, what's referred to as the ICI industrial conservation initiative the uh, they during those five coincident peaks of the ICI program uh, they create what's referred to as a peak demand factor and this peak demand factor is basically their percentage of the overall grid during that coincident peak and so that's where that PDF or peak demand factor is multiplied by the monthly global adjustment pool which is typically like I said about a billion dollars and that's what the GA charge on their electric bill turns out to be and for, for most customers that are larger users that bill that GA component can be anywhere from 60 to 70 percent so it's quite significant and so the types of customers that we are working with they're looking to reduce that GA component and so we help them strategize methods to do that. Uh, just to add, because I think it's a win-win for everybody, right? The operator of the of the energy grid or the uh, electricity grid would win from a lower demand on the uh, on the grid by incentivizing these people to bring down their consumption when there is a lot of stress on the grid, right? Um, and that way they can make sure that the the, 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 the grid remains reliable, that their you know consumers are constantly being fed electricity, um, and also on the consumer side they get a good amount of savings on their end and that's how this whole program was put together to incentivize to motivate uh, large and heavy consumers to uh, to bring down their consumption and and their fair share of of that of that uh, global adjustment uh, charge so that uh, uh, the grid can operate more reliably. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point. You know, there's no doubt that the the population is growing. Yeah. And then and the demand on the grid is growing steadily. And we also know that the ISO and the government in, intend to shut down starting in uh, 2024. 
some of the uh, nuclear power nuclear plants. Power plants. Yeah. And so as a result of that, the big question becomes, where is this power going to come from yeah. in order for the grid to maintain? The, the government does not want to build a new nuclear station, so they're starting to rely more and more on uh, organizations and distributed energy resources. That and the, these can, distributed yeah. energy resources are going to become a valuable asset, not only for the grid as a whole, but for those who have them and execute them effectively within the programs that the, the ISO creates. 100%. Yeah. So I just want to, you guys mentioned global adjustment costs, then you mentioned the grid and how this pool of money helps this out. I just kind of want to get into a little bit of those details of what does this global adjustment cost cover? And then you said that it covers about 60 to 70% of the bill. So kind of get a bit, little bit of a bigger picture here. Let's say, for example, you have $2 million utility bill. 60 to 70% is one, uh, $1.2 million, uh, yeah. $1 million of your total utility bill. You, can, you said you can reduce this. How much can you reduce this by? And this global adjustment cost, what is this covering right now in Ontario? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that as a, as a segue into my uh, known example. You know, <laughs> I, I give a lot of customers. So, Robert, a good point. Uh, you know, uh, global adjustment as a whole, that pool of fund, uh, was created to support a lot of different programs, as 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 Colin mentioned. Um, I don't know if you remember, they used to hand out these coupons for upgrading to LED at Canadian Tire, whatever. Um, there was that money, you know. There was the uh, the uh, the premium that they were paying on any solar farms or or uh, solar installations. They used to pay from what they were charging was about ten cents. They started paying about eighty cents to customers, and they were guaranteeing for twenty years and so on. So all that money, and on top of you know upgrading parts of the grid and so on. Um, is still coming from that global adjustment fund. Now, going back to your example, let's say that you own a factory and you spend about $2 million a year on electricity and you know 60% of it on your electricity bill, you're gonna see a global adjustment charge totaling about $1.2 million a year, um, which is a lot of money, right? And for you to be able to bring down your consumption, we're gonna look at it and say, okay, we're gonna do a curtailment action plan and tell you to shut down parts of your plant. Then you're gonna come back and tell us, hey, you know what, I operate 24 seven. My customers are absolutely, my, my, my absolute priority. I'm not gonna be able to do anything with production. I'm not gonna be able to, um, you know, create a lot of discomfort for my employees and whatever. You guys are gonna to have to come up with a better way of doing this. And that's how the concept of distributed energy resources uh, would be introduced to the, to the whole equation, right? So we look at alternatives. Right, so we look at uh, natural gas generators. We look at uh, batteries, uh, battery storage units, so that we can displace your load at times that there is a lot of stress on the grid. So that, in the eyes of the operator of the grid, you are off the grid. You could potentially and virtually bring down your global adjustment to zero for that period if you're able to in the eyes of the grid, shut down your facility. We're not shutting it down. We're just basically giving you power from a different source and that's owned and operated by you and you become a very important player in shaping how the grid sees your consumption throughout the year. So it's very interesting you mentioned that. So you can actually bring that load down to zero. So if 100%. you have a $2 million utility bill, now your $2 million utility bill is only 800,000. So that kind of gets us into very interesting topic of now the customer side. So Colin, you really deal with the customer. Why is, we, we, we see why it's important for the customer because they have such large savings, but these are just strategies. So why is this both important for the customer and important for the ISO? Well, going back to the comment earlier that, you know, the ISO and the, uh, and the Ontario government will be starting to turn down uh, the, the Pickering nuclear station. The question becomes, where is that going to come from? So that's where we mentioned earlier, it's important for those who are sort of uh, progressive it, to get these kinds of assets, these distributed energy resources in place. And right now, the way the 
the programs are structured for the ISO, the ICI program in particular, these assets can be basically justified based on the reduction in their peak demand factor. So helping customers strategize a way to, with no capital, acquire these assets, take advantage of the savings that they generate to cover that, it helps them accomplish their goal and then hopefully in the future as, as time passes on, we can find other ways to, to stack further benefits for these customers from these distributed energy resources might even be something like the operating reserves, helping them participate more in the in the, the buying and selling of electricity on an ongoing basis every day. So there's there's lots of opportunity for them to build a business case that makes sense for them. And so our role is to help them identify what what path is best forward for them from here. Perfect. And uh, so now, why is this important for the ISO? So we talked about the customer. Why is this important for the ISO? So I'll, I'll give my take, and yeah. I think Colin will have something to say about that as well. But I think part of it comes back to the fact that the grid, the electricity grid, is aging, and it's it's been parts of it has been, you know, been obsolete for years, and they're they're having a hard time keep up with all the demand that's happening, and and all the growth, and the population increase, and all the factories coming on Ontario, mm-hmm. and 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 all of that is creating a demand that they're having a hard time uh, keeping up with, and it's also worth mentioning that any electricity that's generated by the Ontario power generation is it has to be consumed there's no way of storing it anywhere right so for you to keep up and come up with models that are constantly and vastly changing with the introduction of electric cars with the introduction of all these new facilities that have complex infrastructures and so on they're using and demanding a lot of electricity it's becoming more and more difficult to predict how much uh, consumers are going to be needing in, in the electricity that's generated. So ultimately, how this uh, affects IESO is that, okay, they're going to you know wipe their hands clean of any kind of prediction. They're going to eventually in the future come up with plans that there's not going to be a massive power plant anymore. There's going to be multiple distributed energy resources, and they are on demand. As they need it, they will demand for it, that's and they will point. start that's introducing it, right? And that's, that's, that's how I see is a win for the ISO, and that's how they're going to be able to maintain the reliability of the grid. Right, and to add to that, I mean, you know, the, the why does the ISO or, or the, the government want these DERs in place is that we're all moving towards a, a, a reduction in greenhouse gases. Yes. And so right now, currently, you know, the nuclear stations that are online are running full out. And then when there's demand gets beyond what that's able to be serviced, comes to the hydro. They're running pretty much full out all the time too. And then finally when the demand gets so high, we have to start bringing on these tweaker plants. And it's these tweaker plants that are usually natural gas generators and this is the greenhouse gas emissions that we're aiming to reduce. So when you take away a portion of the nuclear uh, component, where is it going to come from? Well, this is where the battery storage in particular as one of the types of distributed energy resources can come into play. And when you have a, a bunch of these distributed energy resources throughout the, uh, the province, all of a sudden they're, they're supporting that demand in, a, in an on-off capacity when there is demand. And that's where the DER benefits the, the grid as a whole. So I'm just going to throw a little buzzword out here, what you guys mentioned. This is what you, when you hear on like the news and stuff, this is virtual power plant. This is what you're talking about because what you're doing is you're lowering the demand and you're lowering the amount that needs to be generated. But at the same time, because you're lowering demand generation, you're reducing the amount of traffic that's on the infrastructure. And then this way you have to do less renovation on the infrastructure yes. and that also lowers down the global adjustment cost. So it all 100%. comes back, couples all around together. Um, 100%. So you guys talked Fjorn into the future. Where do you see DER going into the future? Where do you see the change of the progress of DER going towards in the future, or the evolution of it all? Well, 
I think um, as long as the end user who's, who's going to have a DER on their premise can benefit from it from a, an organization, like their core competency is to do whatever they do. And if we allow them with a DER to, to do that even better, and then even provide some backup power in case of emergencies while participating in these programs, while reducing greenhouse gases, while um, you know, in, improving the grid reliability, then, then it seems to be the direction that we ought to move. And this is where the, the government and the ISO are, are painstakingly working together with larger stakeholders to try to uh, streamline this process because we need more of it, we need it faster. And I think uh, to add to that, I think uh, the vision that I have in mind, and, and I think a lot of the um, input that we're getting from the industry and from all the players in the market is that we're moving into a blockchain managed micro distributed energy resource future for the grid. What I mean by that is every little source of power is going to be a contributor to the grid in the future and that's going to be managed by a blockchain that's completely secure and fully automated depending on what demand we're seeing a lot of electric cars you know uh driving around in the city imagine every single one of those cars are going to become a mobile battery storage unit. So when the time that they're parked, when you're at your office, when you are when you don't need your car, the utility could demand the power that you currently have a portion of it on your vehicle based on an agreement of some sort to inject into the grid and you multiply it by thousands, millions, and you all of a sudden have um, access to a substantial amount of power at any given time without demanding power from natural gas generation that is affecting our environment. So that's the idea. I actually have an uh, interesting question to ask you. Um, if you have these uh, battery energy storage on site and you have enough charge and the grid needs it, are you, are you able to sell it? Like, can you sell your load to the grid or like yeah, yeah, create revenue for yourself for your own absolutely. company throughout this way? Not only curtail and bring down your um, um, utility bill down, but can you also use it as an asset to create revenue for your company? Absolutely. Yeah, these these distributed energy resources, such as the battery storage in particular, you know, they once they're installed and and they're operating, we have to pass the the connection impact assessments with the local utilities, and then we need to buy get the buy-in of the ISO. And once that asset is registered, you know, and and there are different uh, levels of registration. Once it's registered, certainly you can sell it back, and that's just another revenue stream that can be uh, generated from that asset for the organization who owns it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So now that let's say I'm a company right now, I want to do battery energy storage. I need to reach out, I gotta do a lot of research. I can do this in-house or I could go for an energy management company like ourselves. What brings this, these two companies together? Why would I need an energy management company or why won't I do it in-house? Because we've come uh, in contact with a lot of customers who've actually tried to do it in-house um, and they've reached roadblocks, they've reached places where they don't feel like they can get to that point. So why do they reach out to energy management companies and why is it so important for that to be part of the process as well? Okay, so well, we're awesome. <laughs> no, I'm not, not to say that to say that we're awesome, but I, I know there's a lot of energy management companies. That what what's the use of them? So basically, good point, good question. Normally, normally these types of types of projects, uh, manufacturing and other people that are interested in participating with these kinds of uh, DER projects, they do not want to capitalize them. They've got yeah. the, they've got a core competency which is their business, and they want to remain in that core competency. And so they want to work with organizations like ourselves who are able to help them uh, not only strategize how, to, how these DERs can benefit them, but basically hold their hand all the way through every step and even manage the operation blind eye to them, but return, uh, release the benefit to them. So that basically as a third party, you're doing everything for them, they get the benefit. 
you know, that, that, that covers it all in a nutshell. I mean, um, it, it all brings it together in a way that you remain focused on what you do best, which is your core business, your core competency, and let somebody else take care of it as an operating expense, not a capital expenditure that you'll have to spend money on something that you don't even know how to operate, exactly. right? And, um, and, and you, you, you take, you take uh, advantage of all the benefits without you know, risking much. So, in the sense that I'm understanding is that you want, for example, for your company to continue that re revenue or that business that are going on, engage in an energy management team because not only will they buy the asset, but they can implement it well, do the operations for yes. you, and then you have the savings, you have the, you can create the revenue. That's right. And as that, as that kind of holistic approach or yeah. kind of sort of things. Now, what are some of the roadblocks or what are some of the problems that customers come into when they try to implement these projects or they reach out to energy management companies? What are some of the things that you've seen yourself, Colin, because you've talked to so many different customers and companies right now. Yeah, this is a little bit of a long one, so I hope I don't go too, too much detail. <laughs> no, no, don't worry, take your time. But, um, you know, my experience is there's, there's three major stakeholder groups involved in these types of DER projects. One is the operations side, so you've got your engineering components from the, the customer side, you know, the physical connection to their their distribution network and their transformers and so on. So that is all engineering and, and Sean's team from our side manages that, that communications with the customer's communication. So traditionally that's not too complicated. That also involves the, the connection impact assessments with the local LDCs. Again, not too complicated from our perspective. Um, the second group that we find as stakeholders within this is the legal department. So anytime there's an agreement, the legal department wants to get involved, and surely should. And I think the biggest problem we've seen in the past is the, the term of the agreements. You know, customers were, were presented distributed energy projects that were 10, 11, 12 year long terms, and the legal department had a real challenge with that. They had challenges with all the, the cancellation clauses and so on. So we've worked hard on our side to simplify that process for our customers, and I believe confidently that there's, there's not any real legal hurdles that we can't overcome. Everybody has a slightly different perspective on things, but we work with them. I think where we saw the biggest problem in the past ha was related to the uh, the purchasing department. You know, uh, these projects, as was related to earlier, are typically or have been typically a capital yeah, but, yeah. Uh, purchase, and and so organizations just don't seem to want to make those capital purchases any longer. And so we're we're trying to to position it so that it's a no cost upfront no cost to operate, you just receive the benefits, but then we have to make some sort of financial agreement. And so there's been different models presented in the in the process and you know we think we found a way to help customers. You know the first model was traditionally a, a fixed monthly payment. Um, customers often thought or the, the buyers often thought that that was basically another form of a lease or a capital yeah. expenditure and so we moved into the next phase which was a, uh, a shared a split shared savings again that was considered perhaps as a, just a different version of a, a fixed monthly payment and then you know the, the next model that's being presented today in the marketplace is these um, basically an effective reduced KWH rate so if a customer is paying for conversation 10 cents a kilowatt hour effectively over the year if we can enter into an agreement and say, look, we guarantee your effective KWH rate is going to be seven cents, now the buyers can buy into that because they've got a guarantee over that term of the agreement. So uh, these are the three categories and some of the hurdles that we've addressed and overcome. And it eliminates a lot of these hurdles by, I guess. Uh, Sorry about my little uh, computer. I just got an email but yeah. after yourself. And, and, and it eliminates a lot of these hurdles by kind of removing the complexity of dealing with the financial model that is required to justify on their books how this asset is going to operate. 
And the setup that we have resonates well with a lot of our customers based on the conversations that we haven't we've had in the past because the term is limited. It's short. It's you know, it, you know and 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 they they have no uh, upfront money that they have to pay, and it's strictly an operational expense. That's the beauty of it. So just to sum up a couple of things that we've talked about today, um, we've seen why DERs are important. Um, we've seen how it's important for the ISO. We've seen how it's important for the customer and cost savings and all those things. So moving on in the forward, do you see more and more companies getting involved in these strategies, more and more companies becoming educated in these strategies? And do you see it becoming a very common practice towards large manufacturers? I if I may, um, I, I don't think they have any choice. It's inevitable. It's the way the industry is going. It's as if you asked, you know, 50 years ago, do you see computers being deployed all across the industry? And some said yes, some said no. Um, <laughs> but uh, now we see that the reality is that everybody has got a personal computer. And I see that the way the industry and the energy industry uh, specifically shaping up is going to really force everybody to line up towards that ultimate uh, way of consuming electricity and, and, and being part of that smart grid that we all talk about. Yeah. So before we drag this on a little bit too long for our, uh, our production team is kind of getting a little upset us in the background, I'm just going to quickly wrap it up. Do you want to say any closing statements or any closing words about DERs that you still feel like is the last points you want to hit before we end this chat? Um, I think it, it, the one thing I would say to people that are, that are considering DER projects is keep in mind the, the duration of the projects. These are not done in a week and a month you know there these are typically a year-long process and they are tied typically to the to the programs the ISO has particularly the ICI for the GA savings so you know there is somewhat of a cyclical timing on it so you know if you're interested in talking about a DER you want to give yourself you know minimum 12 to 18 months in preparation and then you want to link it to that May 1 beginning of the ICI program so that's the piece I would advise on people. Right and um, to add to that I think uh um, we've ha we've heard this in the past, and I think it's it's one of the key concerns that a lot of customers have. What happens if ICI goes away? And I think based on the experience that we've had in the industry, and based on what we're seeing, and based on what's um, uh, what's at stake here for the, the 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 economy of the province and the country itself, um, they may evolve the program into something else. But ultimately, what's important and what's uh, what's what what we have to remember is that a distributed energy resource is here to stay, period. There's no way around it. All the strategies that all the uh, government level entities have, 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 have done and the roadmap that we're seeing um, is pointing in that direction. Well, thank you for both being on the chat today. We dove into a very complex problem, try to do it as short amount of time as possible, but I want to thank you both for coming in and joining us thank in this chat. Thank you very much. Thank you.